there are so many different aspects to this that I think the best we can hope for is some transparency from the Food Standards Agency where it says, okay, this collection of companies are doing everything that we, we request of them to try and fit the square peg into the round hole, which is novel foods, and try and demonstrate that they are um, considering consumer safety. Welcome to the new HBW Insight over-the-counter podcast with me, David Ridley, Senior Editor, Europe. In this new podcast, I'll be talking to industry figures and experts about new trends and issues emerging in the global consumer healthcare market. This week, I'm speaking to CBD expert Stephen Oliver, co-founder of the Canna Consultants, along with his colleague Matt Lawson. Steve has extensive experience in CBD cultivation, extraction and processing and has advised manufacturers on both medicinal and food supplement product development, testing and regulatory compliance across multiple jurisdictions. I'll be asking Steve what he thinks is going on in the UK CBD market, specifically what's happened to the hundreds of CBD novel food applications currently being looked at by the UK Food Standards Agency, as well as the situation in Europe where a similarly few number of validations have been announced by the regulator. We will also discuss whether CBD might one day become an OTC medicine. Hi Steve, how are you? Very good David, very good. Excellent. Thanks for uh, making the time. I've got that exact same mug. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny isn't it? It's a good size isn't it? It well, yeah, the main thing about it was it was big. I actually inherited it off my partner who decided she didn't like it, and then I broke my favourite big mug. So uh, I've got my dinosaur one here, but I tend to use the spotty one in front of... Uh, so this this one's tea and the other one's coffee, because I, I, I tend to be stuck in here for bloody hours, so I do that. I also have a <laughs> flask as well, so for really busy Zoom days. <laughs> Brilliant, well prepared. So um, So, yeah, the first question first couple of questions related to the UK. So we've been following the FSA's announcements and it's got this new list, the public register, which it launched at the end of March. But so far, last time I checked anyway, we've only got 45 products on the validated list. I think that covers, um, I think only three or four manufacturers uh, or suppliers at least. And then there are none on this on hold list, the second list. Uh, despite there apparently being a surge of CBD novel food applications, according to the FSA's board meeting, the last one, which was a couple of days ago. So, I mean, what's going on there, in your opinion, Steve? Uh, Okay, well, first, thanks very much for having us on, uh, David. Um, There's no short answer to to this question, so uh, apologies, but I'd I'd like to answer it in three parts, really. First is to try and be very specific about what's going on then answer um, why that's going on and then perhaps tackle uh, why that could have been avoided. Um, What we know is that up until the 1st of June, 809 applications were made for novel foods by the Food Standards Agency. So that's, that's 809 people who have got to the stage of registering with their company details. We don't know how many of those um, we're just that, you know, company details are nothing more. But what we do know is the latest information I have is, is of those, 445 were either um, incomplete or withdrawn, and 41 were certainly withdrawn. So we've got sort of 500 there 
which already have uh, failed, for want of a better word. So we've got approximately 300, and a couple of weeks ago that was down to 250. And I understand at the moment that number is decreasing, but we certainly have over 200 applications that are going through the process. And it's important to understand the process because the process is registration. It's a very short administrative period of eight days where the FSA will look and make sure that every category has got, got some data. So there are there are 10 primary categories, then there's the administrative categories, then you've got to put all of the details that they require for publication, for public list and data protection. If, if you've got something in each of those boxes, you progress to the next phase, which is an examination to see whether it meets the validation criteria. And regulatory, this should be a, that should be a 28 day period, so 28 day working period, and then you should um, be advised as to whether or not you've met that standard. What does that standard mean? It means that there's sufficient information about your product and its production. And production covers cultivation, extraction, manufacture, <clears throat> the safety, the efficacy of it, the ADME, which is what happens when you put it into your mouth. So the administration, the distribution, the metabolism, the excretion. So there's sufficient information there for it to pass to the risk assessment phase. Now, these applications, in order to contain sufficient information, are voluminous and we, we have applications that run to a th over a thousand pages and then have supplementary appendices that run to you know, hundreds more more pages. So, so where are we? Um, we're in a situation where the Food Standards Agency clearly didn't anticipate the volume of applications they'd have. So, so I'd like to move on to the why did we get there? Well, I've criticised the Food Standards Agency and I will criticise them again, but I'll start by some, some positives. So they inherited a system from, from the European Commission. CBD originally was not considered to be a novel food and that changed in January of 2019. And the FSA, as the regulator, and they're a very young regulator, they were, they were formed in 2000 in response to a number of high profile um, food poisoning cases. So they don't have ministerial control formed by an act of parliament. And they've got, they've got a remit, which is consumer detriment. So all of a sudden it landed on their desk that they had to implement this very complicated element of European law on a product that was widespread. So it was available in Holland and Barrett. It was available on hundreds of websites online from within the UK and outside. And that's an unprecedented situation because the, the novel food system was created to look at novel foods. Now, it's not important here whether we whether we agree with the definition of, of cannabidiol being novel or not. What's important to note is that the system is designed for a new entrant. So if we look at examples such as, you know, chia seeds, ultraviolet baked bread, arctic crawl, extractions of, of vitamin B, we've got something that's either been invented, we've got something that's either been fundamentally changed or we've got something that's been discovered, normally by a single company. And what they want to do is market that product. There's no evidence available as to its safety. We don't know whether it affects different age groups, different parts of the population. We don't know whether it could cause uh, allergies. We don't know whether it affects your, your liver. We don't know whether it affects reproductivity. We don't know if there's long-term effects. It might make you drowsy. It might make you, make you hyper. So rightly so, there's a very rigid format that companies have to follow and they go through various stages. And if going through those testing, there are adverse effects that are raised, then they have to go to uh, further testing. And that's a very efficient system, except it doesn't work when you've got thousands of these products on the market that people have been using with little or no consumer detriment. 
and consumer detriment when i say that i mean with regard to people turning up an a and e with food poisoning there's a lot of consumer detriment about mislabeled products inferior products and people not not getting what they're what they're attempting to buy so so the fsa inherited that system and they were faced with it with with a challenge which was how do we try and corral all of these companies and we're talking about small companies we're talking about big multinationals so they did what they thought was the best they could do at the time and, and we as the kind of consultants we suggested a pathway we, we drafted a document for them called the road to a better future which suggested that they set a date in the future by which time everybody must attempt to be compliant and achieve validation well, well they took that um and they set their date they made their announcement in Fe on february the 13th of 2020 and they set the date of the 31st of march and what they suggested was that you had to be validated by that date now therein lies the first problem for them because of brexit they didn't actually inherit a system until the 1st of january bearing in mind you need at least 40 days by their own standards to, to analyze these applications they pretty much brought themselves back to february and gave themselves a six-week period now they also didn't have the resources because the food standards agency is used to looking at problems with contamination, you know, listeria in sandwiches with hospitals and, and, and investigating stomach bugs. They're very, very good at what they do. Had very limited understanding of the cannabis plant, CBD. Add into the fact that we've had the COVID pa pandemic and they fully underestimated the number of applications. The first problem is insufficient staff in order to deal with the number of applications. So that's why we've got the delay. So I think we can sympathise them with them to some effect. Now the criticism. There are a number of things that they could have and should have done absolutely differently. The first is they should have anticipated looking at the market data, the number of applications and given themselves sufficient time. So the 31st of March was a ridiculous timescale. We, along with many other people, continually suggested this to them, but they stuck to that rigidly. They did actually change in late February this year from being validated to having submitted by. And again, that, that caused a lot of dis content because a number of very responsible companies had resources both financial and physical to this to meet their deadline and their deadline really was the 17th of February um, not the 31st of March so that was the first mistake the second mistake was not listening to to the industry and I understand why because they're a regulator and their jobs to enforce the law and and from their perspective these were unlawful products so they had very little sympathy but what they didn't look to do was to engage and understand some of the problems that we could all foresee for them. On top of that, there was very little communication and there still is. People were, were, were seeking information as, as regards to what they actually needed to do. And, and when we suggested alternatives to them, it was almost a computer say no situation and it was repeated computer say no. So they weren't open to, to, to dialogue. They, of course, they, they said that they would provide feedback and they did to a certain extent, but that pretty much finished in December of last year because they were they were just um, overrun with work. They've got other big issues as well. And, and, and I think what people don't appreciate with, with novel foods is this is the first time that we've had a controlled drug to achieve the status of food. And you have to look at the departments that are, that are the, the, the cogs in this so the food standards agency deals with food and just food 
The Home Office at the moment regulates drugs and firearms. It's the Drugs and Firearms Department that is looking at the control parts of the plant. And you're looking at, a, you know, a, a plant that's been prohibited. So you've got a, a, a government department responsible for prosecution and prohibition for some, you know, 70 odd years, um, indirectly or directly, and, you know, certainly from the 60s and then 71 onwards with the Misuse of Drugs Act. And their position is that it, it, the cannabis plant is, is controlled substance. And it's very recently that we've been able to separate these cannabinoids. So the Home Office position was, if it's a narcotic, it can't be a food. And that question was the same for the Food Standards Agency. They said, if it's a narcotic, it can't be a food. So what is a narcotic? <clears throat> what isn't a food? Well, that's still not been resolved. And one of the reasons for these delays, and believe you me, even when we get this list with the validated products, we are at least a year, if not two years, away from any potential for authorisation, because the Home Office is trying to understand what could be an acceptable contaminant level. And interestingly, in January of this year, there's a move by the Home Office to, to change the law, because a lot of people don't realise that these these products, if they trace amount of controlled cannabinoids, of which there are 12. So you've got <coughs> CBN, which is not controlled in the rest of Europe or the States, but is here. And the derivatives, you've got all the different THCs. And, and what they're trying to establish now is what could be a contaminant level? So can we set a level at which products that contain this amount are lawful and above that they're a narcotic? And that's problematic. Because we know from other food streams that there are there are contaminant controlled cannabinoids at low levels. For example, some cattle in the continent are fed with, with hemp and, and, and there are trace elements in milk. So until the Home Office can set that level, the Food Standards Agency really can't make any decision as to whether some broad spectrum or, or, or products that contain very small elements of, of THC in them and CBN. It's another misnomer. All isolates contain um, elements of TB, THC and CBN. That's a problem for manufacturers here. And it's a problem for manufacturers because they are handling controlled drugs. So your CBD manufacturer here that's taking a kilo of isolate in or a, or a, a litre of broad spectrum cannot get a licence to manufacture because the exemptions in the um, 2001 regulations, and, and when we talk about things, a lot of people talk about the Misuse of Drugs Act 71, it's fine, but it's, it's actually the, the regulations surrounding the Misuse of Drugs 2001, which, which, are, which, are, which are key here, that there are exemptions, and you can get a certificate, and you can, you can handle controlled drugs. You can only do that for medicinal purposes or research and development. You can't do it for CBD. So the, the Home Office is, is looking to find a solution where they can have an exemption for CBD manufacture, and establish what's a lawful CBD product. It's only then, only then, that we can actually allow the Food Standards Agency to complete its job. So I think this is not going to be resolved overnight. The fact that they haven't engaged with us and, and told us what's happening with the list is problematic, but I'm not sure they know themselves. Um, and, they, and I think they're reluctant to, to make announcements that could subsequently <coughs> be, be seen to be incorrect. And I've got an element of sympathy because that's just not translated to the industry and, and to the consumer. Um, could they have done better? Yes, they could have done. Uh, what would I have liked to have seen? I think if we know that 550 
companies are now selling the products unlawfully and have made either little or no attempt to be compliant when 250 clearly have, then I think there should be a there should be a list of products that that are not attempted to be compliant. I, I know that's a long answer, David. No, it's a really good it's a really good summary. I think Steve, thanks for that. I mean, it's a really complex uh, issue, and we're we're still just talking about the UK. We haven't even got onto the uh, EU yet. But yeah, yeah. Um, there's no point oversimplifying something that's complex. So just just on on that uh, on that summary. So would you say that the situation is that the FSA are essentially trying to sort out the the dangerous from the non-dangerous? Uh, products that are on the market now put in the using the validated list you know to kind of uh, summarize that for the public and for retailers obviously more importantly um, in the short term while the home office sorts that particular mess out and then once that's sorted out we might then see some form of authorized list yeah, I'm not sure they're sorting the dangers out from the not dangerous. I think I think this is a data gathering exercise. I think they're learning. I think they're looking at the data because they don't know what the composition of these products are. So the starting position for them is to know what's in the bottle or in the capsule. Now, if the company is transparent and has a consistent manufacturing pro uh, process, and if they can demonstrate that, that that known harmful or toxic elements are not present, that's that's a good position. And then we get there, we sort the wheat from the chaff and we have validation. Then we can look at the efficacy, the safety of CBD. And there's lots of information out there to say that it's absolutely safe at these levels. Um, and uh, you know, let's not go towards the health benefits that, that people are trying to claim, because that would be a medicine. And that's that's causing the regulators more problems. And that brings the MHRA in. Um, so the industry's got a lot, a lot to learn itself. Um, yes, it, there are so many different aspects to this that I think the best we can hope for is some transparency from the Food Standards Agency where it says, OK, this collection of companies are doing everything that we, we requested them to try and fit the square peg into the round hole, which is novel foods, and try and demonstrate that they are um, considering consumer safety. I think that's the best that we can hope. And then the Home Office will identify what a product can contain. And I think the FSA will then be able to proceed with it with their role and interestingly that will hopefully give them sufficient time to, to to learn because we've seen a huge churn of staff we've seen a change in roles from the the person that was heading this team and somebody else has been parachuted in now and i don't think that's any criticism of the person that was there it's just there are now more pressing issues and his expertise has gone across to um, other areas of, of, of food and we've we've seen people working from home so in an office environment you could probably compare and contrast with applications, whereas you've got these disparate individuals, some are drafted in from the DVLA, some have come in from other government departments, and it's very difficult. So it it's bad for the industry. I think enforcement is going to be difficult because they've, they've built a rod for their own backs, but we, we can come onto that in a moment. Yeah, I think yeah, we can agree that um, it's a complex uh, situation for the FSA. So. Um... Um, it's not a job that I would particularly want to do, definitely. But on the on the, I would love to in charge. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully they'll listen to this and offer you the job. So, um, so on this list that is evolving, and and hopefully we'll see some more um, names on that list. If if you're a final product manufacturer, so bearing in mind, you know our subscribers and listeners will be largely 
you know, consumer healthcare companies, maybe food supplement manufacturers, or maybe, you know, more traditional OTC uh, companies that have got products uh, on the market. If, if, you're, if your brand is not on that list, you know, what can you do about it? And, and you know, when should you start worrying? Um, I mean, I, you know, I imagine that that these companies are checking that list and thinking, you know, I've got a product, so I've got my application in, I'm trying to do everything right. Why aren't I on that list? And, you know, are, are my are my retailers going to be worried? You know, are consumers looking at this? You know, that must be a difficult situation. Well, let's let's take your example, which is I'm doing everything required. So let's take the absurdity. And I'm going to criticise the FSA here because I think they're just stepped entirely out of their, their area of, of legal responsibility. So we, we've got this absurd situation where they've created this new to market. So when they made their announcement, they said, you have to be validated and your product has to be been on the market on or before the 13th of February 2020. So what did they do there? They made a distinction be- between different industry participants. Now, let, let's look at that. What's a regulator's responsibility? OK, so the, the, the fundamental obligation is to treat market participants under their control equally. OK, and if you decide as a regulator to have one rule for one market participant, and one for another, that's outside of your remit. It's even more absurd, more ridiculous when the regulator, and in this case, the FSA, seeks to favour somebody that's been breaking the law for a longer period than somebody who's sought to be compliant. What's the example there? I've had my CBD product on the market in 2018, 19. I, I know I shouldn't have it on the market after January 19. It's clear I've broken the law, broken the law, broken the law. I now put my application in, I'm validating next month, let's say, and I'm allowed to stay on the market. I'm a CBD manufacturer who's who's manufacturing in the States or in other European states where I was able to, maybe, um, or, or I'm looking to enter the market. And I see that the law says I can't do that until I have an authorised novel food application. So I decide not to do that and abide by the law. I then do everything the other company's done, apart from break the law. I achieve validation. And then the company that's allowed to... Bro- to, to, to market, continue to market their product is the one that was behaved unlawfully for the longest period of time. That's untenable. Okay, that they are moving away from that. You'll have seen in the meet some of the board meetings they they shied away from that policy decision. I think it was an attempt to corral everybody and try and spur them to move to move forward. And they definitely wanted to limit the number of new market entrants, which would just make the problem bigger for them. Didn't work. We've seen very big high street names enter. The first time somebody attempts to penalise a company that has validation uh, again, uh, over and above somebody who's been breaking the law. We will see a judicial review um, and we have to have, we absolutely have, have to have proportionality. It, it's also probably, um, it probably exceeds their authority for them to be advising um, trading standards and, and other um, enforcement bodies not to take action against companies who are trading unlawfully. So I think they've tie themselves up in knots. So what what would I advise your listener to do? If they have if they have submitted a novel food application or they are in the process of submitting a novel food application and they do all of that which they're required, then I would suggest, if if I'm crystal ball gazing, that there will be no distinction between a company that's been breaking the law for three years and the company that's just achieved validation. It will be are you validated or aren't you validated? Why have the FSA created these additional lists we 
I believe that comes down to a, a much broader topic around the, the toxicity and the type of testing. That's another argument for another day, David. But my advice, if you've done everything that you should and you achieve validation, it's going to be very difficult for a government department to treat you detrimentally um, and favour somebody who's broken the law for an extended period of time. And then maybe by extension, you know, if you're waiting for that, your if you're waiting for your name to get on that list, you know, you've got your you've got your application in. You believe you've done everything right. Just sit tight. Um, sit tight. And, and and hopefully it will be on be on there. And, and it's unlikely that anyone's going to take action because you're doing everything right, basically. No one can take action at the moment because the, the Food Standards Agency said, please use our list and our, our list will be your guide to the compliant products. Um, now, they've also said that they're not responsible for errors or omissions on their list. I would ask, well, well who is then? Um, but if if you're sitting on an application, we know 550 odd people have received a letter or an email saying, I'm afraid you didn't supply the right information. So if you haven't had one of those, I would suggest you are moving further and further towards being in the top set and, and things are looking good. So um, so I suppose the other side of that question is uh, what is going to happen to those uh, products that haven't got a validation um, and are still, you know, are still on the market. So basically the, the suppliers or, you know, sellers or whatever are ignoring uh, this system, which may or may not make sense. Are, are we going to see some enforcement, do you think? Yeah, I think they can take advantage. This this period of radio silence is perfect for them because they can just continue to take advantage. Once we have the, the list and, you know, we'll go, I go back to the argument, we'll have, we'll have an argument over that list as to, you know, beyond the market. But if, if we put that to one side, um, will there be enforcement? Yes, there will be boots on the ground. Um, there'll be there'll be trading standards and food standards agency of, of officers who will go to, to various towns for two or three days on an operation. Um, but I think the bigger change will come where we saw leading up to March that some um, you know, public liability insurers, some merchant accounts, financial organisations were, were, were gearing up and some were writing letters asking for evidence that you've done what you should do. That's been put back because of the FSA's list, but we'll have a situation within the next few months where merchant facilities will be withdrawn. So it's the, it's the easiest way for them to enforce. Put the responsibility onto Visa and MasterCard and tell them you Unless someone can demonstrate that they've got a validated application, you're facilitating unlawful activity and they will move away from that. We saw MasterCard retreat um, quite aggressively last year. So that will, that will happen. Insurers will do the same. You would hope, you would really hope that retailers would. Um, but again, we, we're seeing products being on, on boarded. But I think a retailer at the moment can, can only ask, have, have you made an application? Yes. Once the list's there, I don't think retailers will pay any attention new to market. They will simply want to know, have you demonstrated to the authorities that your that your product is manufactured consistently and it's now suitable for a full risk assessment? Um, so I think that's all quite reassuring um, for, you know, the responsible final product manufacturers that um, that we're talking to. So I think that's the UK. That's a really good kind of snapshot of where we are at the moment. I mean, you know, maybe in two weeks we'd have a completely different conversation because it's changing all the time. But um, but yeah, so moving on to the to the EU now that UK is out of the EU, you know, separate a separate process and um, you know same process but um, but different regulator and um, but also quite complicated. It seems it's quite similar in many ways. You've got you've got the novel food process, but you've only got four validated products from what I can see on that. 
uh, on that list and they're all synthetic CBD. So um, so what's going on there then? OK, well, um, uh, the European Commission, where the application first goes, they this comes back to the contaminant level. So this is an issue. This this set of this contaminant level was something that was being discussed widely. And, and the UK was involved with this. And there were meetings actually taking place online in May of last year. Um, where they were looking to set a Europe-wide contaminant level. So the Commission, quite rightly, and, and the EFSA can't start to consider because they have the same issue. Is it a narcotic or is it a food? You then look at the disparity or the lack of harmonisation across the states. And we've seen, you know, in Belgium, you can you can buy um, low THC flour and a tobacconist because it's taxed, but you can't buy a CBD product. So there's lots of issues to be resolved. So um, the Commission just put a stop and said, right, we're not going to review these applications. In the middle of that, we had the Cannabate case, and that's a, that's another podcast. But essentially, that that looked at free movement of goods and different types of the of the cannabis plant, and and, and that opened up the ability. What I can tell you is, with our clients, we've we everybody we, we didn't didn't just rush to to the FSA. We've submitted applications to the EFSA. It's a very efficient system. I'm going to be complimentary. Um, it's it's changed recently. There's there's a, there's a new submission system, but the, the system itself. Is very efficient. There's very good engagement. They clearly understand the issues surrounding um, CBD products. They clearly understand the issues around uh, the controlled elements, and they clearly understand some of the issues that that are being raised about um, animal testing and existing data. So we've got engagement. Um, I think if you were if if you were involved in making the two applications you would have to be honest and say that EFSA are, are, are far more efficient. That's because it's their system. The UK had to design a new system very quickly. The digital in infrastructure is very poor, but they'll get there. Um, but I think you've got one small government department here dealing with it. You've got a, you've got a much broader category of far better informed individuals with, with EFSA. I think we'll see that accelerate. It's not going to be just synthetic. Once you can demonstrate that you can make a very, very a highly pure CBD isolate, I think we'll start to see those validated very quickly. I think the broad spectrum, or and when I talk about broad spectrum, I mean there are other cannabinoids present. Some people would tell you that they're contaminants. They're not contaminants. If you're marketing a product as containing CBG and you know and, and other cannabinoids, it's not a contaminant. So that they're they're there at levels of you know up to two percent. There is a lack of information about that. There's more coming. Just because we don't see de consumer harm. The regulators are, are tasked with securing our safety. So you have to understand that you can't just throw these these hotspots, these mixes, these potions, because we, we don't know how they interact together. So I think we'll see botanical um, cannabidiol applications validated by, by EFSA. I think the FSA will do it first, um, but I think authorization will probably be harmonised because as the commission irons out what what the what their approach to control cannabinoids is bearing in mind they don't have cbn in the mix and as we do that there will be harmonization because the europeans aren't going to allow the uk to run away with this market um and i think it makes sense the fact that we can't post goods to each other at the moment because of the brexit mess that's 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 still not resolved um uh, i think we'll we might get some harmonization so yeah i'm i'm i efsa European Commission. I think I think they're doing 
a fairly good job. They're doing it very slowly, um, but they seem to be gathering pace. So I think we'll probably see the two the two horses going neck and neck. Well, that's good news, yeah. And I think that'll be that'll be good news for for our listeners as well that you think there'll be harmonisation because you, know, you don't really want two different markets um, where you can't where you have to have completely different you know formulations and um, you, you may do from the controlled element. But I think when I talk about harmonisation, I think there may be they may they may set a contaminant level. We've still got the CBN issue, but maybe maybe the Home Office will resolve that by redu- reducing the level. Um, but I, I think we we are so close, and 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 we've got all of these other competing issues where we've got recreational use coming into play in certain European states. Um, and what's important here is that the, the three markets are, are clearly defined. So we're not talking about recreational. We're not talking about medicinal products today. We're talking about food supplements um, with, with controlled levels of cannabidiol in them and, and, at, and at very low levels. Yeah, so that's actually quite a good um, quite a good prompt for my for my next question. So I've I've been speaking to some people and you've got a, you've got a country that we've written about Australia that's taking this approach. Um, of the possibility of a future where CBD goes down the OTC route, so it's you know it's a it's a funny situation, isn't it? Because you've got these products on the market, they're already food supplements, but then also you know you have got this issue where health claims are being made. Um, there seems to be some evidence for for some health benefits, but of course as soon as you start talking health benefits, then you know you're getting into the territory of of medicines, and that's a completely different regulatory framework. So, in your opinion, again, getting your crystal ball out, Steve, um, will will we see, you know, down the line, maybe in a few years, um, OTC CBD products? Um, okay, crystal ball. Yes, I think we will, but I don't think that will be good for the CBD supplement industry. So they need to be careful what they wish for. Um, I, you know, over the counter means a prescription drug that's been that's been downgraded so so that that's a medicine that's gone through the route normally after three to five years where it's either an active pharmaceutical ingredient or it's a combination of them um it's it's it doesn't have any <laughs> consumer detriment it's not it's, it doesn't need to be prescribed so it can be sold over the counter like you know night notes and and, and 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 some of the hay fever preparations so if cbd companies want to go down that route then you're creating ip it's it's a it's a very long process to be um to to be awarded the moniker of of medicine um and people will protect that ip so yes i think that probably will happen but that'll be pharmaceutical companies so we might see the likes of epidiolex from gw pharmaceuticals which is a 98 percent pure cbd believe you me a lot of these companies and i don't consider them to be a big pharmaceutical company but the big pharmaceutical companies are looking at um anti-inflammatories they're, they're looking at uh, anxiety they're d- and they're doing the work and they will go through all of the clinical trials and the phases and then that will be a medicine and then it will it will eventually hopefully be oh you know over the counter that's totally different to the supplemental market um the supplemental market has to have limits it's not a medicine you can't make health claims and if you think we've got problems with the fsa then be careful what you wish for, because if you then want to push your product into the realms of being regulated by the MHRA, um, I think you should just accept that there is a burgeoning industry within the supplements market. And this is a food. and Keep it simple. Good advice. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to look forward to. And um, 
and yeah thanks so much for taking the time and you know giving us all this insight um i think it's helped clarify a few things absolutely it'll uh, probably out, be out of date in a fortnight <laughs> yeah better get better get the podcast out soon <laughs> there may be an update on monday let's see yeah. <laughs> uh brilliant well thanks steve and um yeah have a good day we'll we'll no doubt speak soon okay brilliant thank you very much david Thanks for listening to Over the Counter. Watch out for new episodes in the future on the HBW Insight website, on our LinkedIn and Twitter pages, and on SoundCloud. See you soon.